Hello, sexy nerds of the Nerd Imperium. Welcome to this week's episode of the Currently Nerdy Podcast. We are your inner conclave of nerd. My name is Diz, and I'm your pop culture and sports nerd. Ali? I am Ali, your classic nerd. And I'm VM, your comic book nerd. Guys, I had the best pizza of my life this past weekend. Don't give a free promo. No, I'm not going to give public... Like, I'm not going to name, name the name of it. I mean, you could. Like, there's, there's, no, there's, yeah, no, there's, no, there's no consequence. But they need to pay me first in lifetime supply of pizza, and then I'll do it. But it was the best pizza I ever had. I don't know. You're... you're... I don't, I'm not sure if I trust your taste buds. I'll bring some for you next week. No, I'll, I'll get some eventually. Oh, yeah, you're rich. You can afford it. You order it for us <laughs> next week. <laughs> it's pizza. What does richness have anything to do with it? I don't know, man. <laughs> Just, this wealth has it's like There's one true like signifier of a quality. It's pizza. Anybody can have pizza. That is true. It's the, the real working class. That's not true. Right there. Have you guys seen that bullshit fucking thing on BuzzFeed? Worth it? They have those oh, the two hundred dollars. That's different. It's not two hundred. It was like two thousand. It's because it got gold flakes or some shit. Black cavity. It was like squid ink. That's not pizza. That's just disgusting. That's not pizza. That's just yeah. just opulence. Did you see that? So they fed it to like the BuzzFeed workers. It's there, gross. And they're like, this pizza is disgusting. How it is gross. Why would you? It's it's squid ink with. I mean, like squid ink is used in cuisine for a very specific reason. Yeah. You don't just put it on top of pizza with gold flakes and caviar and, and truffles. And truffles and, and like, oh look, that's just literally that's taking your money and burning it. Yeah. Yeah, they just they put expensive shit on stuff that doesn't really. I those, mean, that's not pizza. That. It's not pizza. Anymore. Those people piss me off. Those worth it guys, right? Why they have the greatest gig ever? No, no, they piss me off because I know damn well some of that food is fucking garbage. Like the hella expensive shit probably tastes like pure crap, but they have to pretend like it's amazing because they're doing publicity for this company. Some of it, I don't think yeah. all of it. I think they're pretty honest about it because they judge which is the best. And there's plenty of times where they pick the cheapest food. Yeah, which is fine, right? But they're like they're always making like these weird like mm, and then they're zooming in on you their know faces. How, you know how big that that series Huge. got. It started yeah. off as a one off, yeah, and it ended up becoming so popular that they gave them their own seasons and series. Yeah. They're on like season four now. Their own season, and now they fly around the world. Yeah, they've flown doing, to Japan. They've yeah. been to Korea. Yeah, that's that's the life. They did those people. They did. Yeah. They really have a good. They have a good gig, man. V, that could have been you. I know. If only you had like a. Was the, one, the, one of the guys is Asian, but he's Korean, right? No, he's. Uh, he's Korean. He's not Korean. He's Chinese. No, he's Korean. He's not Korean. The guy who does it with the kind of light colored hair? He's not Korean because they took a Korean Chinese. guy with them to the Korean barbecue and he had to explain the oh, culture. Maybe. So. maybe. Yeah, I think he's from China. He's, okay. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. But he's not Korean. Yeah. But yeah, V, that could have been you. You could have found a little white sidekick. The, the white guy is funny. Yeah. He's very unhappy about everything in life. Yeah. Ooh, it's like the opposite. He Asian used to be. Happy. He used to be the uh, the guy who used to do the. It'd be weird, like if I did the cat thing, like if what cats did, your coworker did. No. He used to do that, hmm. right? I just got him. Along. It'd be strange. Like he used to the old old school buzzfeed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I know. Right? It was like if I did what babies did. Yeah. If I did what cats did, he did oh, those God. series because right. he's got a very monotone voice. Mm-hmm. Super monotone voice. Super monotone. Yeah. I don't understand. So the, and everyone loves the cameraman. Yeah. Oh, the cameraman's just like this dude with a beard who's just kind of quiet. Just quiet guy. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone just, loves him for He just food. smiles every time he eats the food because they give him a little bite. Him. Yeah. A little, beard, a little ginger bearded man. <laughs> a little, little ginger nut. Yeah. Like so what's this fascination, V? So you do like food blogging and stuff. I do. Right? So. He gave out his food blog yesterday. Sandwichslayer.com. Yeah. The guy follow you? Yeah, he did. TheSandwichSlayer.com. The sandwich right? I also have SandwichSlayer.com. Yeah. Yeah, so. So, like, I've noticed that now, what is, like, our generation's fascination? With what? With watching other people eat food. 
Oh, that's not a that's not a generation thing. Yeah. That's a it's also it's a mean, universal thing. It's, it's also voyeurism. Out, yeah, it's come out from a uh, there's a, a the Korean concept of mukbang. Yeah, yeah. that's that got huge this last year. Yeah, people really. It's like it's a combination of it's it's voyeurism, but also there's a certain ASMR quality about it as well. Really slurping and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, but that that those videos predate the American versions by yeah, a long yeah, I mean, shot. Yeah. There used to be live streams of it. Yeah, I mean, we literally steal everything from Asia, yeah, like yeah. regardless of whether or not people. But know it's voyeurism though. Hmm. Yeah, um, there's. I, I think it's. It's almost. It's. It's. It's very prudent that you bring up food because I actually wanted to bring up something that annoyed me. Ali, you and I talked about this yesterday, but you know, I think the Asian community in general, right? We all have issues that we work through. We all have our, you know, our political things, our stances on stuff, right? But you don't hear a lot about like Asian populations or communities mobilizing against something to do like a big giant issue or to fight against a certain issue right like you hear about mm-hmm. black lives matter things like that right yeah. you have like the communities like energized yeah. right we don't really do that the same way right but the second you fuck with our food oh yeah i remember that right when yeah. that that white guy trying to say how you should eat pho yeah when the second that you fuck with our food <laughs> that guy was yeah you done you done you done fucked up you done goofed and you're and you know you're gonna hear it from us yeah. right and the same shit just happened this week with another one of these uh, Instagram health food bloggers. They're trying to tell Asian people how to eat like bok choy or some shit. Worse. Well, see now, okay, so um, there's this I'm not going to I'm not going to say her name, right? I don't give a fuck who she is. Oh. But like essentially like she's a she's a New York based like Instagram health personality, right? Uh. I'll give you two guesses as to what her uh, color of skin is. Uh, <laughs> she's a uh... Caucasian. Yeah, imagine that. From right? the Caucasus Mountains of, of Asia. So for whatever reason, because she thought that she's Caucasian and because Asian is half of the word, yeah. that somehow mm. she can go ahead and stomp over the Southeast Asian cuisine, mm. right? And be a jerk about things. She started her own restaurant called Lucky Lee's, right? Oh, what? Yeah, in, uh, in Does New she York. have Lee in any part of her name? Uh, her husband's name is Lee, apparently, right? Oh, okay. You know, but, you know, it's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> called Lucky Lee's. And... Uh, it's it's Chinese food, hmm. right? But the idea so behind, East Asian food, yeah, like East Asian, right? But her the idea behind it, and she posts a bunch of shit on Instagram about how it's like this is Chinese food that doesn't make you feel icky afterwards. It's what called clean? She called it clean Chinese food, quote unquote. What right? is that supposed to mean? So, you know, it's a like clean American Racist Chinese restaurant. Is what it is. You know, and then of course, naturally, I mean, I would be pissed too. Right, the Asian community, especially New York, got a thriving Chinese community that's been there for hundreds of years. Yeah, right. Um, of course, she takes huge backlash. Be like, how dare you sit there and imply that somehow traditional Chinese food is dirty? Number one, yeah. you know, and then you're also, and she's making all these assumptions about the culture and about the, the culture, the cultural food, mm-hmm. uh, in in the very in the very specific, basic white woman way, right? Uh, in a very Coachella way of doing. There is a, there is a yeah. kind of weird. Audacity, yeah, right. Of like caucasity. I'm yeah. going to make this food better because what you have currently is dirty. It's horrible, right? And it's like you know, like, it's, it's really. How's your food better? What? I don't so, know. Okay, she so, adds MSG to it. Yeah. No, less. I think yeah. it's an anti-MSG. So thing. MSG is bullshit, right? We yeah, can go yeah, over yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah, a whole thing. That's 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 a we don't need to get into. Right? MSG is bullshit, right? Yeah. It's great. It's fucking amazing. It adds umami to everything. I put it on a shoe once, and I loved it. Hmm. That's what? On a shoe? That what? Huh? <laughs> v eight. I don't know shoe. what you're talking about. Anyway, <laughs> so what had happened was right. So she's getting all this backlash, right? And this is really funny because um, if you follow food at all, right, you have uh, Andrew Zimmern. 
just got a huge, a lot of backlash for his Chinese concept in like middle America. It was called like the Lucky Cricket or something. And then Gordon Ramsay tried to do like a Chinese concept also, also with the name Lucky in it. So everyone's just kind of going, if Lucky's in the name and it's owned by a white person, it usually means they're just being racist. Yeah, right? I can't. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's there's Asian places called Lucky, but most of the Chinese food places that I've ordered isn't called yeah. Lucky. There are tons of them, right? There's one by my house, Golden Dragon. There's Golden Dragon. There's Olive Tree here. Mandarin Gardens. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of places. There's a lot of great places a lot that you of can find food. traditional Chinese food. And yeah. I can tell you... Panda Express. Don't shut up. Fucking <laughs> say that. I can tell you beyond a shout about number one. If, if, if your concept of Chinese food is nothing more than what you get on the steam tray at a place like Panda Express, mm-hmm. you need to widen your scope. I'm speaking here. Yeah. Right? Chinese food, just like any other cuisine, just like any other American cuisine or anything else, has a rich history and has a lot of different varieties of things in which you can try that are either going to be healthy or unhealthy for yeah. you, right? The idea that she can somehow take something as as, as something as as I guess stereotypical as Chinese takeaway that you would get yeah. and think that somehow that encompasses all of Chinese food is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, fuck her. What are those <laughs> yeah. little shrimp filled dumplings called? Like the Chinese shrimp filled dumplings? They have a- wontons. No dim sum. Dim sum. Dim sum, dim sum refers to a specific style of dining. Yeah. But I think the little shrimp-filled dumpling is called hakao, which is oh. a you get shrimp inside of a rice. I got it from the dim sum restaurant. That shit is good. Yeah. I like. I don't like eating Chinese food at like P.F. Chang's, Payway, and Panda Express because it's not real food. Like I like these places. I mean, it's, it's real food. It's just food you don't like. Yeah, but like it's not like really good food. You mean authentic? Is it yeah. Because like, well, P.F. Chang's is semi-authentic. It's catered to white people. PF, but it's like one of those like fancy mm, very catered down it, it's like the TGI Fridays of Chinese food or the Cheesecake Factory of Chinese food Cheesecake Factory serves Chinese food they yeah, do in the weirdest in the weirdest fucking way I don't even know how bang bang works. chicken and shrimp what that's what that's one of their dishes is called either way I've actually made it a, uh, my my life uh, mission to destroy P.F. Chang's <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, no. I have a lot of issues with that restaurant Why? I don't blame you yeah, it's, I, it's overpriced and not particularly good no, I don't know. It's just a restaurant, though. I'm just a, I'm annoyed by the horses that are in front. There are horses there. Yeah, I don't what's know up why. with that? I don't understand that. There, uh, there is another backlash that happened I think we should talk about, and this was an undeserved ba- backlash, actually. Whereas in your case, it was very deserved. So recently, there was a huge scientific discovery that was happening, a scientific uh, breakthrough, yeah. in which they basically uh, created a program that turned the entire world into a satellite of sorts and as a result we're able to create a composite image mm-hmm. r- first true image of a black hole whoa hold on the first true image of a black hole was any this, one of my relationships jo- these jokes we've the past. literally that we've heard it all on twitter all week long just stop that was, just that was just first. stop it was it was marvelous uh my call, I have, when i told that joke you know i mean when i was in middle school i was obsessed with astronomy and and the stars i don't know if you remember but fifth grade i was like yeah of course well you know you uh when we were uh when we got into the greek mythology and all that stuff yeah. i mean a lot of the, the constellation stuff yeah. was a huge part of i loved yeah. astronomy well that's because you're a muslim you believe in a moon guy and i was uh the two things like i really loved dinosaurs when i was young but mm-hmm. i think every kid did yeah. but i also loved astronomy i never wanted to become an astronomer mm-hmm. but it was definitely science was like one of my i felt for a while like when i was in middle school and shit let's become a scientist oh. and i still my one of my hobbies is i love astronomy so i love this shit 
Um, not to be confused with astrology. Not to be confused with astrology. There was, in fact, a debate between astrologers and astronomers over over the Notre Dame fire just recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some astrologers said something about, like, oh, this, yeah, and this the is... The Notre Dame fire. The, the, what did I say? The Notre Dame, not the university. Yeah, no, not Notre Dame. No, no, Notre, Dame. Dame. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Notre Dame, which unfortunately just did burn down. Not all of it, but, yeah. but there was a significant okay, number Fox of Fox News is blaming the Muslims. But there is a... Some astrologer said something was in conjunction with something, and some uh-huh. astronomer was like, "Like you're full of shit." <laughs> and it was like this debate between astronomers and astrologers over Notre Dame for whatever reason. Mm. Anyways, uh, so this was an amazing moment, right? Yes. Black hole, right? Mm. Huge breakthrough. I was kind of giddy. A bunch of my friends were really excited about it, and the person who wrote or was the, the head. Uh, of the team that put this all together was a woman named Katie Bowman, a postdoc who has just uh, received a, a tenure track professorship. Oh, this in, is why you're so excited. In, in, in professor's PhD is <laughs> Caltech, right? Uh. So she's excited. For whatever reason, no, not for whatever reason, for a very specific reason, she ended up getting a huge number of backlash from the Reddit world and from dudes. Why? But apparently, she, uh, they don't understand how scientific research works. What they kept claiming is that the guys on her team, specifically one of the dudes, wrote like something like 80% of the code, and she only did 20% of the code. Oh. Not understanding that that's, scientific research isn't about how much code you do, but also how the research is organized. And clearly, every single news article mentioned that she was one member of a large team. She just happened to be in charge. Right. That's normal for scientific discovery. There's a lead researcher. There's the yes. lead article writer. The first name is usually the person who gets most of the credit. I wonder how they the, feel about Madame Curie. Anyways, it ended up with like people going on this whole rant about there's a media narrative that's trying to push women as if as if women discoveries like aren't a thing mm. that is actually men who do it but women are getting the credit which i thought was oh particularly God, a geez. twist of irony and then tw- wikipedia got into it so apparently someone made a wikipedia page for her uh-huh. because she's now considered notable yeah right but then there was a debate on whether she deserved to be considered notable or not. And there was these fucking douchebags on them like, well, she's technically not notable. Someone else wrote the code. And then someone rightly pointed out, I was like, whether you agree with that or not, the fact that we're having this debate now indicates she is notable. notable. Yeah. So they ended up creating the page. But I couldn't. It was one of those moments where you went, well done, basement dwellers. Mm. You prove every stereotype true. The fact that you couldn't even handle one instance in which a woman gets credit. One instance, right? Mm. I mean, it's not very often you hear about women in STEM, you don't often hear about women accomplishment, because that's not what our narrative is, right? Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that women are in STEM, the fact True. that women are part of all sorts of innovations. Yeah, they get paid less. They get paid less. Yeah. But it was this moment of like, everyone kind of went, wow, good for you, Katie Bowman. It was really cool. It was interesting. Men couldn't handle it. The fragility of insecure men. It was just so fascinating because you're like a TV writer couldn't possibly have written this script. It's too on the nose. Yeah. It's too unbelievable of a story because it was too obvious. It's like you could see it a mile away. The second I read that first article, I'm like, oh, man, the tweets about this are going to be bad. Well, what do you expect, dude? There's nothing that pisses off insecure men more 
than like smart, successful women. Yeah. Why do you or think the idea or the illusion that a woman is getting credit when for, a guy should be? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Because it's like, why do you think? The right wing has such a huge problem with women like Rashida Tlaib, oh, yeah, Tlaib uh, Ilhan Omar, and yeah, yeah. AOC. Yeah, yeah. Right? Without a doubt. And it's it's always successful. Outspoken. Yeah. Yeah, the sad thing is like, she never even claimed to be a mate like this. She just took a picture. She took a picture of how excited she was, and the articles credited her. Yeah. Now, the articles are doing what journalists always do. They take the lead name. They, you know, like, it's just very obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Anyone in academia would have told you there's nothing strange about this. But it was this whole, like, the media is pushing her down our throats. There was, like, this other guy. And then they even made memes about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The sad thing is the guy who was part of the team that they kept giving credit to had to make his own. He literally started his own Twitter account to dispel it. He went, all right, guys, I'm the guy who wrote that code. Let's be clear. What you're saying is not true. Yes, I wrote a large number of the code, but guess what? So did everyone else. And it's not about how much code you write, but what was considered pivotal to the research itself. Like, what brings it together? What's the essential components of it? What I find interesting is that once this story kind of dropped, right? Yeah. Who went out of their way to figure out how much work these people did individually in order to Some make Some basement-dwelling piece of shit who literally had nothing better to do but go, I don't believe that this woman discovered a black hole. Mm. Well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. She won't touch my penis, so she didn't discover that black it is. hole. It's a bunch of, yeah. it's a bunch of really, really into... You know what it is, too? It's like... It's online, right? Yeah. And so it's like the, the proportion. I mean, men in general are insecure pieces of shit as it is. But it's the fact that it's online because it brings a particular contingent of insecure men. Do you think we've mm. become more toxic as a society because of the internet? Like, I don't as far know, as like masculinity and I stuff? don't know if we've become more toxic. I think it's more obvious now because the internet brings it to the surface. I think the problem was is that it's in the public sphere now more. Okay. I think that's what social media is. Yeah, I think there's certain a small amount of social media exacerbating, radicalizing, and making worse, right? I think the incel movement is a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say analogs of the incel movement haven't been around, been around yeah. before the internet. Yeah, because right? guys were fucking killing women who rejected them yeah. all the time before but what, this. But, but now what we're, we're seeing... seeing I think with the internet is that it's suddenly now more in the public sphere. Yeah. Suddenly it's given everyone a voice, right? Twitter has given everyone the idea that they're also an author. Yeah. That every, all opinions are equal and that they've got to say something about something. Yeah. And that, that they're, you know, they and them alone have the sacred truth that no one else does. So I think Twitter is, I think social media has enabled that yeah, type of stuff. It's also created communities for them, right? So yeah. they actually have access now. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I actually went and attended a talk. Elise talked yesterday about jihad, right. right? Let's not say it was a talk about <laughs> jihad, right? It was, a, it was about America's, America's jihad. It was a history talk. It was a, to hist- it was a history of jihad, right? But I had to, like, jump over that fence with the gun around. Strap- no, I'm only kidding. Jackass. Um, you know, and you and you, and was there, you were able to, and this is interesting because it kind of blew everyone's mind, but you were able to kind of condense, um, you know, kind of modern, I guess, terroristic thought to mm-hmm. that Syed Kutub guy. Yeah, I right. talked a little bit like, or, you know, and like about him him going to Colorado and being a frustrated virgin or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how it's like he was a big old nerd along with that freaking Globadouche dude. Yeah. Um, that Globadine. Uh, Globadine, yeah. Mm-hmm. With that Globadine guy, right? And acid attacks or whatever yeah, else. Yeah. But you're able to like distill it into this concept that I think a lot of kids or a lot of universities understand like the, the nerd rage. Yeah, right? oh you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- this is, I mean, Said Kutub definitely was the nerd rage. But I mean, I think the, this era has made. 
the nerd rage very apparent, very yeah, obvious. Because the internet is so intrinsically tied to nerd culture, right? Yeah. It's the nerds that were first online. It yep. was the nerds that created the communities in the first place. I mean, even the, the media platforms that we use are made by the Turk tech nerds, right? What we call the tech bros, uh-huh. right? So the, 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 the nerd communities are so intimately tied to this that the rage that comes with, with nerddom is also intrinsically tied to it. Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, all those, you know, these 4chan, now 8chan, these places don't exist without that toxic quality intimately woven into them. Yeah, I guess that's the, uh, it's also that weird reality. It's all like, you know, you, I guess society kind of went into their world in a sense. You know, and it's actually really not their role, but mm. because they were the first there to, they were kind of the mm. first to. Uh, They've always lived in the sewer. We've just now put the sewer in the middle of the streets. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's true. Because, like, the idea of nerds back in the day, like, at least in the 80s, yeah. you had, like, movies like Revenge of the Nerds, right? Yeah. They were but the, the Revenge of the Nerds is literally about this. A bunch of nerds that get back at everyone else. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, they got back at everyone else by going at the bullies. But now it's like the nerds have become worse than some of the bullies. Like, well, most I, mean, I mean, if you, get, if you have been bullied all yeah. your life, you generally become a bully true right this is the reality of it especially if there's some semblance of power one of the worst things you can do is give powerless people power power over others yeah. it's not that you should empower yeah. you should always empower the powerless but if you give people power over others yeah. we saw this with the stanford yeah, prison stanford experience prison, yeah. right you mean milgram? some people no uh milgram is slightly different Oh. This is That's Lombardo. The figure, think, this is right? Lombardo. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you make uh, some people prisoners and some people guards. They're originally all equal. Yeah. The guards end up becoming crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you, working in the service industry for ten years, this is very true. You know, an industry where it's uh, where you end up having to serve people their food, clean them out, etc. Like mm-hmm. um, they could be the they can literally be nothing, right? Yeah. But immediately when the social understanding is that I am there to serve, serve them, yeah, yeah. They, they then all of a sudden there is a point where somehow I am no longer on equal footing than they yeah. are. That's the same. You know? thing I want to speak to the manager, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, the same thing. Where there's nothing special about that person, but they know that they have access to the power over you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, I think that's just kind of the the unfortunate reality yeah. of things, you know. Like that's humanity at its worst, but it is humanity, right? But here's my thing, right? I think humanity in general, at its core, for the most part, if people are shit people, right? Everyone's like, oh no, you got to see the good in everyone. I don't think that everyone has good in them. I think some people, or mo- a lot of people, most people maybe, are just shit people if given the opportunity to be shit people. Mm. Like, we're inherently evil. We've seen that with wars. We've seen that with, like, how people take religion and use Damn. it as a political tool. Thomas Hobbes we on see us. It with, yeah, I'm just saying. Like, Straight up Hobbes. <laughs> yeah, if you give people the fucking opportunity to be shit and get away with it, yeah. I think most people will jump on that opportunity. Yeah, we talked about it, right? I mean, the uh, the the kind of the new phenomenon of uh, package, but was it door pirates or what? Package pirates or whatever it is. Yeah, right? porch pirates. Porch yeah, pirates. It's yeah. never. Yeah, it's never. It's not some seasoned criminal. It's a middle aged mom. No, you know, like just jacking, stealing no, shit because she could. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a better example, and it's a it's a it's a crazy stupid example, right? That doesn't make it better then. Yeah. No, listen. So the games Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're open platform games. You go around, you can do whatever. You could interact. And no one, no one follows the laws. Yeah, said that. But it's like, so my brother was playing this game, and one of my friends was watching him, 
right? And, like, he rides by, like, a, just a group of people. And the guy yells, kill him, rape him, kill him and rape him, right? Like, what the hell? Yeah. yeah, that's what he was saying. Like, go kill those random people and then rape them after you kill them. Jesus is like, fucked up. It's, and I'm looking at him like, dude, what the hell is wrong with you? He's like, I'm just kidding. I'm like, you're f- fucked up in the head. Why are you telling him to, like, okay, it's one thing if you kill him in the game. Why are you yelling rape him afterwards? Like, what the fuck is wrong with yeah, but, you? I mean, here's the thing. Those people are the nerds. Those are the people that the people that are playing the games that are carrying out those violent. It's not that the games make you violent, yeah, right? True. But it's that experience of the, the, your inherent violence and cruelty and whatnot being expressed and having somewhere to be enabled, and then that makes you think. The logic of that makes you think that you can then do that anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you often hear the kids that end up playing these games that also carry those jokes elsewhere outside yeah. the quote unquote jokes. And then you realize that they're like saying that shit to their teachers or leaving that comments to, for waitresses and whatnot. And that's the problem is that the, that division that it, between uh-huh. the basement or the sewer and the public no longer exists. It now is too blurred. And so those people that should have been banished to the basement. Now, have even worse is when they end up getting any form of power. Then they start not only exercise it, but it really demonstrates sociopathy, cruelty, acts of violence. I mean, at a superficial level, this is one of the reasons why most companies don't like promoting from within. Uh-huh. Yeah, it makes And when they do, they promote and send elsewhere. Yeah. Because the idea is that if you take a group of people that are equal and then make one of those people in uh, charge yeah, of the other yeah. people, uh-huh. there's always going to be tension. And, and that person, yeah. not just resentment, but that person will have a tendency, whoever they are, no matter how good they are, to crack the whip in order to demonstrate authority. Yeah. Right? So there's a whole part of this in what's called industrial organizational psych uh-huh. that says if you ever promote someone from within, you have to move them elsewhere. Yeah. There has to, they have to be in charge of a new environment. Otherwise, the old dynamics are problematic. It's true. I, I agree That's with at that. the superficial level. Then you add the, the components of, of what happens when people who are like gamers who are making these jokes who are thinking that way have power. Yeah. Give them authority. Make them in charge of something. And that's what the internet does. It makes them feel like each one of them can edit a Wikipedia page. Each one of them can post a video. Each one of them can tweet or comment on someone. That's why you see that cruelty. That's where it comes from. You also see how fucked up they are. Based on what characters and TV shows they like. Anyone who's a fan of Euron Greyjoy is a sick fuck. Is a sick fuck. I, I just don't understand the character. Yeah, the Euron in the mo- in the shows is very different from Euron in the books. Now again, I'm not a book purist. I'm okay with certain changes, but mm-hmm. I think they didn't. They haven't. They didn't do a good job of capturing yeah. the essence of of. Because I mean, the Varys of the show is different from the Varys of the books. Okay. The mm-hmm. Varys of the books is ten times more manipulative. For real? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and way more ambiguous. You're not sure about what his motives are at all. Did you Did you see the tweet? For, oh, we're going to do a little bit of spoilers from yeah. this week's episode. So if you haven't watched the episode, fast forward about 10, 15 minutes. We'll, yeah. we'll do a quick little yeah. talk about it. But um, anyways, so there was like that quote on Twitter that, that uh, Cersei said. And everyone's like, well, everyone's going to use this as their bio now on Tinder. If you want a whore, buy one. If you want a queen, earn one, right? Or, oh, God. <laughs> they're like, every bitch is going to use his own Tinder now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I haven't got on Tinder to see yet, but I bet you it's been changed. <laughs> you want a whore, buy one. <laughs> and she let him sleep with him anyway. <laughs> she did let him sleep with him. But I think she's between a rock and a hard yeah, place. Yeah, she's trying she's, to make it because he said, I'll put a baby she's in got, She's got no choice. Yeah. There's a, it was a setup episode. Not that exciting. Yeah, I mean, for what it was, I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was nostalgic. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, after fucking two years of waiting... I know, wasn't satisfied. 
Yeah, but uh, the problem for me is, I think we mentioned this earlier, is like, there's only six episodes, bro. You need to get. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna resolve all this shit in six episodes. There's like a, there's so many questions you have to answer. You're not gonna answer all that. All right. So, what do you think were like the the top points of this episode? The top points was to point out was to first practically point out that John is a Targaryen. Yeah. Ride the dragon. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's one head. Yeah. And then to get him, give him the truth from uh, Samuel, Samuel Tarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the next uh, point of this was to show that. Uh, Cersei is in a bad place. Yeah. Um, and then that's it. That's it? That's it. I thought good points were Thormund and Beric Dark Derek are still alive. Beric Dark Oh, man, was that... Was that the last hearth was creepy as hell. Yeah, it was, with the little Umber kid. Man, that little Umbers just can't catch a break. No, no, no. no. Screwed. <laughs> it's screwed left and right. Yeah, yeah. No, I like how they're like, his eyes are blue. My eyes have always been blue. <laughs> that was a good it's the only good part of the yeah. show. The rest uh, of the show, I think they tried too hard to be funny in some parts. Like, I, like... I, I so one of my one of my students actually said this, and I thought he was he was absolutely right. Because I said I was like I I hate Game of Thrones from season five on. Season four was great, and then that's it. I hated everything. Else. And he's like, that's because they had the guidance of the books, and when they they they're good adapters, they're not good writers. Yeah, yeah. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, he's absolutely right about that. Uh, they are good adapters. They're horrible writers. Yeah. Because there's no, because I this and now it's like the creative process for it's them is messy. over and it's gone. Well, like, I mean, earlier on, you could just see. That they even when they had to create original dialogue, yeah, they had the essence of the books to kind of guide them along, and it made sense. There's, I mean, the dick jokes left and right. I oh, remember yeah. last season they had the whole. There's like multiple dick jokes. They threw in one that was entirely like you could tell they were forcing it. The Dickon joke. Oh yeah, it made no sense because he'd already met Dickon, yeah. and they actually went and handled the troops together with Dickon. Yeah. Why on earth would he go? What's your name? Rickon? Dickon. Yeah. <laughs> Why would Bron laugh at that? I mean, you already know his name is Dickon. It was a completely like we're just going to throw it in because his name is Dickon. Yeah. I have to say, one of the things that I took from this is I'm pretty sure Jon Snow's like game yeah. comes solely from waterfalls. He gets all of his play from women at he waterfalls. Does get, he does hook oh, yeah, up at waterfalls. waterfalls, man. I swear, like, yeah. that guy. That's how he got Egret. That's the other one. It was like the dragon looking at him. It was kind of oh, funny. <laughs> you're trying to, I'm like, they're trying too hard to be funny. I thought it was funny, but I'm like, it's a little it's I feel, too it much. forced. All right. So yeah. I saw the best tweet. The CGI about, was not good this no, season, I'll say, so far. It's a bit a little off. It doesn't look right. I saw the best tweet about the most underrated character in all of Game of Thrones. Onion guy? Some Samuel Tarly. Samuel Tarly is. Uh, can I tell you something about Samuel Tarly? Right. When he was first introduced, I hated that guy. Oh, cool. Fucking hate. He was whiny and crybaby. I hate. No one has grown on me More like Samuel has. Yeah. Like I'm a really like. If they hurt Samuel, we riot. So mm. listen, Samuel Tarly, rightful heir to Hornhill, member of the Night's Watch. Liberator Clapper, of, Craster, ever heard this of Craster Free Folk, first to slay a White Walker, killer of Thane mercenaries, wielder of Heartsbane, curer of Grayscale, discoverer of Dragonglass, clapper of wildly cheeks. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I, I, I liked it from Curly Nudie, that's why. Yeah. You saw it. No, my brother tagged me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. It was good. It's true. It's very yeah. accurate. There was a, a photo that I, I put up on our Curly Nerdy where it shows uh, when Missande oh, and yeah. Graham show up. <laughs> And, and it's, it's a barbecue Betty in the back. Right <laughs> well, they, they made it very obvious. Like the, the North was not happening. Yeah. They were not excited about black folks showing up. Okay. So when Sansa and John met last uh, season, yeah, right. 
I I was so like happy to see them reunite that it, yeah. it literally like I think I may have had tears in my eyes. You're a wuss like that. Yeah, I am. I, I cried during episodes of ER. Leave me alone. <laughs> I cried when Hodor died. <laughs> Legitimate. Every time I've watched that episode, because I've seen that episode four times now, right? And I've cried every time I've seen it. <laughs> you know it's coming. Yeah, I know it's coming, and I still cry. I can't even see highlights of him <laughs> dying anymore because it makes me cry. I do miss him. Yeah, but you would think. When Arya and John get back together, because Arya and John always got along, he made fucking needle for her, you know. Yeah. I just I didn't feel it. You know why? Because you already had the catharsis. I guess. Yeah. Also, Arya didn't go through the same shit that Sansa did. It's true. Sansa and John meeting was like they met at the end of like their rope. Oh, John yeah. was like fucking exhausted. He just got fucking. Killed. Hey, came back, came from, the back from the dead. Yeah. She'd just been sexually assaulted yeah. by her husband. Yeah. Like it was like they were like you could see like even emotionally and physically. They were, whereas Arya comes in at the same time that John. Like they're both at the top now. Yeah. They're both doing good. They're back at home. There, she's come back as a super assassin. He's second king of the North. He's steward. He's some, I don't know what he yeah, is. Anymore, yeah. Lord of the North. He's something. Yeah. Right? But it's like, the, in other words, like it wasn't as cathartic because the emotional stake wasn't as high. Yeah, they rebuilt themselves. Yeah. Like that. Okay. But when John saw Bran, I. Like, that I was got, emotional for me. I got more. I, there, uh, that was more emotional than him seeing Arya. No, nah, not for me. I guess it's because it happened first. He saw Bran first. I mean, you were emotionally a disaster, is what you are. I am, man. Because I was on the same part. Arya and Bran for me were the same thing. I was like, oh, they. They're back home, so it's not, it's not yeah. that the stakes weren't the same. Oh, but he thought Bran had died for a little bit. He also thought fucking Arya was dead. Oh, that's yeah. true. There was a lot of longing stares in this episode. Oh yeah, Bran just sitting there like fucking Professor X waiting around for everyone. To he said. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I got the impression that it was at least 48 hours in the like. Did did anyone just forget like Bran? Can't get anywhere. Like they didn't put any ramps in Winterfell or something. Yeah, so they just way. left him out there for forty-eight hours. I'm waiting for somebody. Yeah, waiting for an old friend. Forty-eight hours. He just looks, he's looks just at Jamie and smiles. Just sitting there. He's he doesn't even smile. He's got a weird look on his just face. The fuck is it? Brand was extra weird. This, yeah. this fucking emo ass brand. Well, like uh, he was emo, and this one he had like weird moments. Like that moment was like, "There's no time for this." Like yeah. it was a very the emotional response was uneven. Yeah, it didn't shut seem. Up, Brand. It would have made sense if he had said it in a kind of monotone. Voice yeah, there's no time that for we've this. gotten used to, but there was this like weird... yelling and shit. And you know what? It was just probably his first line. Yeah, first probably. line, and they, they was reading, so he got a little overexcited. Shut the fuck up, god damn it! Just calm down. That little punk ass Arya. She doesn't even wait for John and Daenerys. She's like in the crowd watching it and shit. Well, it was I was harking back to oh. one of the things that Game of Thrones does, both in the books and the show, is it's very circular. Mm. There's always a nice good. How did the show start with Arya out in the crowds, oh, yeah, right. watching them come in, yeah. and then running back yeah. to make it and meet everyone? The same thing. Who? What? What does the show actually start off? Oh, it's with a little boy, little boy up. climbing. Yeah. It's Bran, yeah. right? It's like it's mm. always, it's always been that. Yeah, yeah. I thought the show started with like White Walkers. It did start with White Walkers, but I'm talking about like the actual like. Oh. Yeah, that's considered like, a prologue. Yeah, yeah. the same actual the narrative. Book. Yeah. yeah, the book is also starts with the White Walkers killing the little like the little yeah. scout camp or whatever. But it's the the actual kind of uh, you know pro, the actual narrative starts with. So Brad. I watched the last episode of season seven again yeah. before season eight yeah. because 
Uh, I watched it with my cousin and her husband, and her husband couldn't remember anything, so we had to watch the last episode. Yeah, need you or something? I don't know, man. He's terrible. He's old, so he forgets things. That's really mean. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm like, there's a recap. He's like, no, I need to see it. So we sat there and watched that. Um, did you notice that when like they break through the wall, when they're going through, it looks like uh, like a wolf, the the way they're walking. No, no, so watch not... it over again. Watch the last episode. Of, like watch the last scene when they first break through the wall and they're all marching towards it. The way that they're walking, it looks like that the uh, House Stark sigil. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I, we will. I will say that I've mentioned the theory that the Starks have something to do with the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. There's a theory that the first Night King, uh, the the terms they're using, they're using differently than the Night King in the book. The, in the book, the Night's King, it's not Night King. Night's King uh-huh. was a Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, who supposedly had a mistress. Who was made of ice that yeah. people think was an other. They're oh, never yeah. clear. Because the others in the book look different. Uh-huh. They're beautiful. Yeah. Uh, they're not like this weird zombie kind of looking, mummy looking creatures. Yeah. Um, and that is believed to have been a Stark. Hmm. So there is a theory that this whole thing is based off of that there is White Walker blood or other blood in the Starks. Fair enough. That there is some connection there. Whether the show will go into it, I'm not sure. And whether it turns out to be true in the books or not, because it's a theory. Mm-hmm. No one, no one's quite clear on it. So who knows? It's possible. I know that all I'm looking forward to, I've said it before, I'll say it again. White Walkers kill everything. Yeah. Just, I'm, okay I'm so with done with the show. I know that people are like, I, I know there's a part of me that goes, oh, it's only six episodes. How are they going to answer all that question? But there's another part of me that's just like, just let's well, do it. You know, just fucking get over obviously, with. right? But I feel like also you're also like, they're not going to do it any justice they anyway. They just fucking so like, get no it over point. with. Although I will say my favorite scene, the only scene that really mattered to me, the Hound and Gendry. And Gendry. Hound had like one line in that thing where he called him a, a, a cunt smith or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it was. And then he and then he and Cripples. Huh? Yeah. Him cripples. Yeah, whatever it was, right? He said it. Standard Arya for a second and walked away. Best scene of the whole episode. Yeah, he's like, a cold bitch. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, cold bitch. Yes, Sander Kleglain. Still the best character in that show. Fucking V and his, like, like, obsession with Sandor Kleglain. His obsession with miserable characters. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprised. (laughs) I will say, Sander's underratedly funny. He is actually genuine. Like I said, I watched some episodes of season seven. Uh Uh-huh. He's, he's good. There's a line he has where they like come closer to the fire and he's like, just my luck, I'd be with fire worship. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a really well-delivered line. Like, yeah. it's under, he's very under-the-radar funny, but you're just like, yeah, he's, he's got some so, so is Thorman Giants fan. Thorman's not under, he's funny. Yeah, he's genuinely funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he better not die. Yeah, him and him and the Hound are the two funniest characters on the show. Tormund is great, and I, it's the him and the buddy for whatever reason, Beric Dondarrion or whatever. Beric Dondarrion is actually uh, no, Beric Dondarrion. No, I'm trying to say it your way. Yeah, it's actually a good team up. Yeah, I like good it. Team. I did feel bad for the little kid though. I will say, it's like damn, they, they kill children. Yeah. Well, and joke around. No, some people were pointing out how that spiral stuff. It uh-huh. looks like the sigil of House Targaryen. Yeah, it did kind of look like it. it. Does look same a little thing bit. with the horse bodies. Remember in the yeah, uh, yeah you so. light them on fire. It very much looks like the sigil of House Targaryen. Now the real question is: next episode, how's he gonna break it to his aunt that they've been fucking? Mm. Does he even break it to his aunt? Of course he's gonna break. It. He's John. Oh, he's yeah. too, 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 too honest. Yeah. The thing that I'm hoping they're not setting this up for is that he deserves the Iron Throne, so he's gonna because. George R. R. Martin goes out of his way to subvert that chosen one motif over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with John sitting on the throne because he does, he's the one guy who doesn't want it. Yeah. 
So he deserves it. I just don't want that to happen, though. Like, yeah. I'm okay with it morally, yeah. <laughs> ethically. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay with it as a, as a reader or an author or a writer because I'm like, that's not good storytelling. Yeah. Right? Don't do that. I also don't want to see Danny sit on the throne because her ass doesn't deserve it. Yeah. She's gone too mad queen for me. She's a little too up in her britches of like, I deserve to sit on Why? Because you got three dragons? Two. Two. <laughs> two. I mean, I know. Yeah. Two now, but, yeah. you know, because you got three. That yeah, was her. Like the way she, like, she's like, we don't have to be friends, but I am her queen. When she yeah, was like, she's, there's this, like, weird, like, her, her, and, and the acting has gotten worse for her, I'll gotta be honest yeah. with you. Amelia Clark. Now, mind you, she did go through some stuff, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, so who knows? But, like, <laughs> she, she went, I know that her development's supposed to be great, but I think she plays empowerment as just her delivering lines coldly. I want them all to die. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, you know, no, I want, I want Sansa to sit on the throne. No, I'd, I'd be okay with Bran sitting on the throne. I think Bran would make a good... Well, you just yeah. said that like well, in our text exchange. You're like, who the fuck's going to carry that motherfucker up? I said that. Yeah. You said, how's his ass going to get up there? <laughs> or some shit. To be fair, you know, I mean, Bran is already halfway to sitting on the throne. Yeah, was, that was a crippled joke. Sorry. That was that was really fucked yeah, up. Messed up. The, the, one of the <laughs> things that I really wish that we had more time with is to play around with a little bit of the magic. I would have loved to find out that Bran is actually the old gods. That there are no gods. Oh yeah. But Bran talking. Like the weirwoods are like him. It's him. Yeah. He's been the one messing with things this entire time. But also, I want to know more about what the fuck the Meisters are up to. Why lock away books? Yeah, what is up with that? Like, okay, I understand, like, certain knowledge can be dangerous, like the knowledge of points, but why lock away the true history? Because they talk about that the White Walker stuff is all blocked away. Why? Yeah, why why lock yeah, that up? Yeah. See, this is the type of stuff that I think the books could do really well. I hope the show has time to do it. They already hinted at the whole, like, Robert's Rebellion was a lie. Well, more than Robert's Rebellion was a lie. Jon Snow's ancestry was a lie. True. Right? The most honorable person in Westeros lied. Ned, Ned, Ned Stark, right? What if the White Walker story originally... Hey, what was Ned's real name? Eddard, Lord Eddard, Eddard Stark. Oh. What would happen if the original story, which was that the White Walkers showed up, that the children of the forest and the humans allied themselves against them, they defeated the White Walkers, the last hero created that sword, the forced to sacrifice his lover, right? Mm-hmm. Plunged it into her heart, he got a flaming sword, killed the White Walkers, and they built the wall. What mm-hmm. if all that's a lie? What if it's it wasn't a great war? What if it was diplomacy? What if it was they conceded that they would give a sacrifice of a child? Yeah, right? the what if thing might yeah, be like what a, if it wasn't had nothing to do with defeat? There was no military defeat. There was only appeasement. Right? Hmm, That's wow, what I want to This is where I want like if the show's headed too much to let's have a great epic battle, I'm going, "No, come yeah, on. Let's jumps, tease this other stuff out." It jumps on medieval action story a little bit yeah. too much, especially for I think George R. R. Martin's storytelling, personally. Yeah, I agree. But that's and you know Let's, you know, HBO has amazing programming in general. You can go and find all sorts of great stuff there. If yeah. Game of Thrones isn't really your thing, I actually wanted to pull away from the Game of Thrones because we're running out of a couple of weeks of it, right? Oh, yeah. We have six weeks of it. Yeah, and HBO, I mean, they've been really pushing their documentary series lately. <laughs> a lot of them, anyway. I mean, I think yeah. John Oliver is a, is a good, inf- I mean, sadly enough, as a comedian, is a good information, a good kind of hub for information for a lot of people. But yeah. also HBO's documentary series. Um, things like Surviving Neverland or yeah, that was Neverland. Really, yeah, yeah, like I mean, things like that have um, have kind of been pushed in the forefront. And with things like that, we've also seen right, this the, huge the influence. case against Adnan Syed. Yeah, right. There's a huge push towards documentary filmmaking now. 
I feel like there's a fucking documentary for everything, V. Like, if you want to learn the history of s'mores, they have a documentary for it. Well, one of the th- I mean, documentaries have always been popular, but they've always been kind of a niche thing. Yeah, right? well, like, you don't like you, they don't have a lot of main unless there's a handful, right? They used to not, but I mean, back in the day, it was like you only watch documentaries in class and shit, right? Well, it's yeah, like boy yeah. George Burns, your, your professor would your, Ken, Ken Burns. Burns, you moron. George Burns is the <laughs> with the cigar. Yeah, yeah. the uh, what what really kind of I think turned things around was uh, the Vice documentaries. Yeah. So what Vice did, which was quite con- controversial too, is that they they embedded their impo- reporters and their mm-hmm. story with their actual subjects. So there was a sort of narrative component they did two things either a narrative component to their vice documentaries and they really did really well it's like a guy goes down to uh, a voodoo uh, you know house and and he, he, he experiences it himself mm-hmm. so he the story is told through that person's point of view or there's nobody and they let the subject speak entirely yeah. um, and so you see a little bit the uh, the ISIS documentary and the ISIS documentary really put them on the mm-hmm. on the map and what what that They're did by the, HBO too Vice. The Vice documentaries, what they did, however, is they blended sensationalism with facts. It's yeah. a component of drama, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not just going to tell you the stories. We're actually going to persuade you or capture you with attention. And that reinvigorated documentaries as a whole. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've, I enjoy Vice. There's a weird kind of gorilla aspect. There is a it, gorilla right? aspect. And, like, you know, there's something gritty about Vice documentaries. I yeah. think what's what's crazy now, though, is, like, the documentary seems to be... Documentaries come out, like, every week now, mm-hmm. right? And the thing is, though, people are talking about documentaries that they're talking about binge-watching shows, yeah. right? The same way. Um, I mean, you know, the Surviving Evelyn, the Surviving R. Kelly... Yeah. Right, even that new Lou Pearlman story that just came yeah. out on YouTube Red. I think Lance Bass was doing that, yeah. you know. And uh, so now it's like all these these documentaries that are basically kind of exposing people. exposing people, especially in the entertainment thing. industry, which is interesting because for a long time it's like documentaries are part of the entertainment industry, whether we like it or not. So I imagine it was a lot. It was you know it was one of those things where it was kind of hard for for documentaries like that to break in to the industry mm-hmm. that it's kind of run by these people like Harvey Weinstein. Right? Yeah. Well, um, I think I think part of it is the platform. Yeah. If you can stream things, streaming allows you to binge watch, right? We yeah. talked about how the technology and the medium has changed the way that we watch television, right? Back in the day, you would turn the TV on and zone out, Yeah. right? Or you did channel flipping. Those are all kind of because of the medium of television. Yep. But now... You can, and especially since things now autoplay. Yeah. Right? You're not even clicking. It's just it's next episode, yeah. next. And before you realize it, you've watched 12 hours of, you know, The Last Airbender or whatnot, right? Like yeah, yeah. Binge watching is a, is a product of the platform and the medium that exists there. But I think in turn, it's also created a, a particular style of documentary. You still have the kind of classic Ken Burns documentary. He just did the whole Vietnam one, yeah. which was a little. Like if the, P- you, it's the PBS style, yeah, and then yeah, but yeah. there there is like there's even the PBS styles are kind of getting like the the uh, uh, the reconstruction, yeah, one that yeah. it's really people are really talking about how amazing it is because it does not only really good research but it also brings to life the story. The problem of that is, don't get me wrong, it's great. The more people that watch documentaries, great. I watch a lot of documentaries, right? Mm-hmm. I love it. Documentaries are persuasive, though. So, because of the medium of it, because of the way that information is presented, you can be easily persuaded, and that doesn't necessarily—that's not necessarily a good thing. Well, that's my issue with documentaries, right? Because I, I too, 
enjoy a good documentary every now and then. When was the last documentary you watched? Uh, I just watched one recently about like fucking Volkswagen. And I recently they... watched one about dragons. That's Game of Thrones, Diz. No, it's Volkswagen <laughs> oh, asshole, <laughs> and how they faked and said that they had economic diesel and they didn't, and they like got screwed over, and like they mm. screwed over like a bunch of people who yeah. were like people that were trying to be economically friendly and find it whatever. Anyways, there there's a ton of them, right? On Netflix. I also watched Afghan Star again recently. It's a good documentary about uh, the Afghan idol. Uh, Afga- Afghanistan's version of American Idol. But not, not a true documentary because it doesn't uh, point out the fact that Afghan Idol is actually made by the CIA. Oh, yeah, it's true. It it's is literally owned yeah, by... Yeah, Tolo is yeah, owned by the CIA. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to bring that up. Yeah. But, yeah, obviously. Hashtag fact. Yeah. But the thing is, is so my issue is, is... People watch these documentaries, and then all of a sudden, they fucking come to me, and they, they pretend like they're this expert. I've watched What the Hell. How dare you eat meat and cheese? Well, I don't see... I'm, Veganism okay. is the only way to go. Okay, look, I haven't seen a lot of people that claim to be experts after watching documentaries, but I do see a lot of people persuaded after documentaries. No. They watch a documentary, and that's the thing about it. Because it's emotional, because it leans heavily on pathos, right? It's not like, here's our hierarchy of arguments. They're not yeah. making a case, right? They instead they rely on persuasion. They rely on making you feel uh, embedded in the actual story itself, right? The embodying of a story. That's a very important component of documentaries. And before you realize, like, yeah, that so and so is innocent. No, so and so is guilty. Yeah. No, really, I there's mean, yeah, yeah, totally. An example of this, I'll give you. Hold on, hold okay. on. I'll give you a really good example in the contemporary moment. Is uh, a few years back, Discovery Channel did a sort of viral marketing ploy in which in which no in which they put out a mockumentary about dolphins Mm -hmm. uh not dolphins i'm sorry mermaids Uh and it was presented however as an actual documentary yeah with really persuasive images and look this is the first real image and then you know these these scientists that they even created websites for these scientists that if you google them they actually existed It was all really to raise awareness about climate change and pollution in the oceans and things like that. You know, it's killing our ancestors. And they did this whole, like, alternative history that there are two forms of, of Homo sapien, one that was on land and then one that went into the water. And then that evolved, right? And the mermaids look a little more, they're more fish-like, right? They don't look like a little mermaid. Yeah. But they did this whole, and it, it caused a fucking crisis online. People believed it. It was such a, like, there was a mass hysteria about mermaids. People believing in, asking, wait, is this real? Was that real footage? It was people, because it was presented as factual, authoritative, and persuasive, people didn't get that it was a viral, like, I watched it, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is viral marketing. Mm-hmm. It was just them trying to raise awareness about Discovery Channel and and whatnot. People really believed it. It was on. It was trending on Twitter. It was like mermaids, mm-hmm. you know, 2017. I think it was 2015 or something like that. It was yeah. like it, people went crazy for that shit. That's an example of what happens with with documentaries. They're great for presenting information, but they always need to be taken with a grain of truth because the director isn't a researcher. The director is out for a good story. He's a film director. He's a film director, and he's creating a story. And that story, you know, it's meant to sell you tickets. Yeah, but you also have people that will then, again, take this shit for fact and think because they've watched this documentary, they know better than you, right? So these false flag people, right? The first documentary that I saw about a big false flag Mm. 
um, when I was younger, I was this was 2006, 2007, uh, was an Alex Jones executive produced documentary called Loose Change. Hmm. Right. The whole premise of this documentary is that 9/11 was a false flag. Yeah. Right. And I have many friends who still believe who, that who shit. Who still believe that shit because yeah. they watch this documentary. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Documentaries are meant to be persuasive, and they are trying to convince people that the perspective that they're presenting is true, and people believe it. People believe that shit. Yeah, it's sad actually. Well, there's um, I mean, we've already seen with you know net Netflix is like true crime documentaries, yeah. right? Cases have been overturned, have been reopened as a result of that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we've even seen like um with, I mean, there was uh, when we were growing up, right? Like, what is it, Fahrenheit nine yeah, eleven or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Was like the it was like the big one. Yeah, was it like the big the documentary? That, yeah, yeah, the the Michael Moore movie, uh, Bowling for Columbine, and then Bowling he had for Columbine, Columbine, or right? Dinesh D'Souza's documentaries, Obama's America and Clinton's America, while critically panned and seen as kind of horrible, they're very commercially successful, and they end up with a lot of people genuinely believing the shit that he says. And we've seen in the aftermath that there are things that on these documentaries that are categorically untrue that end up being picked up but and people then perpetuated, right? Oh. And I think that that is a that is a big issue with the people need to take documentary filmmaking as what it is. It's filmmaking, yeah. it's entertainment. I mean, yeah. I mean we see you know, that they can do great things. And the serial, for example, starting out a podcast and then the case for whatever his fucking Adnan name is. Said. Adnan Saeed, right? Is like yeah. an example of how you can take, use documentaries to take a story to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, missing cases stories, the stories of victims. They, these are examples in which documentaries do a great job in centering lives and stories that you don't always hear of addressing, for example, institutional wrongs. But also the reverse is true. The Fire Festival documentary, for example, ended up not addressing the fact that it was exploitative and dangerous and whatnot, and ended up weirdly making characters more sympathetic than they need to be. Yeah. A lot of documentaries can do this. That they create sympathy for characters and people that don't need sympathy and whatnot, which is why the Fire Festival, rather than a cautionary tale, is now a sort of weirdly aspirational. You yeah. see people going, I want to do the next fire festival. Yeah, Ja Rule's trying to make right? another one. That's that's not a good thing. That's yeah. like literally that's like someone saying, I want to be the next Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Wait a minute. No, that's not something you want to do. You don't want to have sympathy for those characters. Those characters weren't genius. It wasn't brilliant viral marketing. It was a scam. It yeah. was horrible, right? That was the weird thing about a lot of those like American Greed, like that show yeah. stuff. It it has this weird thing where yeah, it the the person that that follows like ultimately the scam artist that follows right mm-hmm. they talk about the downfall but they don't talk about the downfalls if it's somehow yeah cautionary right there's a yeah. really weird thing where they kind of prop up the ingenuity yeah of them being able to scam well, people, and, right? and that's like, just the nature of of documentaries because you're it's told to the perspective of that person right yeah. it doesn't center victims it doesn't so as a result what ends up happening is that when you research or you get so invested in it, you, without even realizing it, you tend to become sympathetic towards your subject. Yeah. Right? They become so, the protagonist. Yeah. yeah and like, weirdly, it's the, 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 you know, the person that's driving your story. Not the good guy, but definitely the protagonist, right? Yeah. Like, and like the, the Ted Bundy Yeah. That becomes, that becomes very awkward. That becomes very uncomfortable. And I think these are the components of documentaries that were always problematic, but you see them more readily now that you see sensational, viral, and dramatic documentaries. Yeah. When those three kind of components come together, 
then you've got you start to see problems, right? Yeah. Then this then this stuff becomes a real issue. People aren't just believing shit, but then you end up becoming sympathetic for all the wrong reasons to all the wrong people. Yeah, you're right. Your wires get really crossed, I think, sometimes. Yeah. But I think there was I read something the other day when I was looking this stuff up where they were talking about why documentaries became so big kind of within the past several years. A lot of it's advent of streaming technology, obviously, but they also talk about how a lot of people think it started from this weird boom of uh, of true crime podcasts. Like a lot of people, the documentary filmmaking kind of got got a lot of uh, a lot of its steam yeah. from people getting obsessed with true crime podcasting. Well, like the, the the history there is a little off. It's true that true crime podcasting helped, mm-hmm. and I think true crime podcasting bled over into true crime. Uh, documentaries. What came right? first, making a murder or a serial? But the 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 question is, serial came first, okay. right? I think serial came first, right? Yeah, then well. then making the. I'll look it up. While you're yeah, talking. look it up right now. Um, I, I, without a doubt, the two bleed into one another. But the documentary kind of the new rise of the documentary is can fully be put on Netflix, right? Mm. Netflix made a strategic decision along with HBO later on, to pick up documentaries as one of the things that they offered. And so what ends up happening is that you have documentaries that originally you'd have to go through the library, you'd originally have to go through ordering online, you'd have to go through these completely separate uh, programs, like the old streaming library was called, oh, cramp something or another it's an online library where you can get a bunch of like world war ii documentaries etc yeah. and whatnot but because of the you, netflix started to platform them it became readily accessible for people so it was no longer something that you watched in a classroom it was no longer something that you watched because you rented it from a library or a movie store it was something that you had easy access to and the early documentaries weren't even crime documentaries the early documentaries were exposés so they were exposing the meat industry, yeah. exposing the whatever industry, and they weren't even yeah. that, that. That's what Michael Moore did. He exposed right. GM. It wasn't the like the greatest and the and whatnot, but that's what really sparked this new craze in documentaries. Vice News steps in, sensationalize it. Then you have, as you pointed out, uh, true crime podcasts, right, and true crime uh, cinema, whether it's HBO or the making of a. Serial Killer, which is also HBO, if I'm not mistaken, right? What? Making so a make Murder? It, making of a Murder, right? That's no, Netflix. Netflix, right? Mm. All of that con- converges to create this kind of mass movement of documentary watchers. But the first documentary watchers were all exposés. It was the platform. Netflix made a weird decision that ended up being really, really smart on there and made them a lot of money, allowed yeah. them to also create documentaries of their own, too. Yeah. Uh, serial came first. And that serial came out and uh, followed by the making of yeah, a murder. October twenty fourth. Yeah. When was the first time that was that the first documentary that Netflix did? No, they did more prior, but making a murder was like the big like true crime one. Yeah, that was their true crime yeah, one. Yeah, because they. The, but that's the fascinating thing: Net, the Netflix, actual platformer yeah. making documentaries. Yeah, right, well, like I mean, that's they, a whole. Yeah, they're making TV shows and stuff too. Yeah, I don't, but that, know, that, I don't remember. But again, that's shows. a strategic decision on their part that. Like if I was Netflix, I wouldn't have made that decision, right? Yeah. Like if I was if I was a streaming service, I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, make dramas, make comedies, rom coms, do yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, you know, I mean, documentaries have been historically have been cheap to make. You just need to put a lot of time into it. Yeah, you know, and there's a specifically 
documentary filmmaking is a very specific niche field. Because yeah. originally, know, I, in the 90s, documentary filming and the 80s, it was generally book to documentary. Yeah. Right? You'd write a book, and then someone would pick up the book and be like, oh, I'm going to make this into a documentary. Some type of nonfiction. That's how nonfictions became movies, right? In the same way that fictions would become adaptations or whatnot. That's where documentaries came from. And then I think, uh, as you noted, serial, uh, podcasts, true crime podcasts, etc., and documentaries become new thing that are intimately woven together. And I would say that's the relationship into the 2000s, right? If books and uh, and documentaries were 80s and 90s, then in the 2000s, it's podcasts and and, yeah, and documentaries true. and there's also interestingly enough though it's also i think a lot of people documentaries are all good and fine but there's also that weird thing now where because i mean even our medium is obviously perfect for it but the commentary the commentary on the commentary of the documentary right yeah. like the uh, the people reacting to the documentaries themselves the whole industry yeah which is which i find fascinating as well because then now you're you're looking for people's opinions yeah. about a piece that's technically the opinion of the guy who's making yeah. the documentary. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting cycle. I mean, we yeah. talk, we do it here all the time, right? We talk about, we read articles written by people. We read, we talk about documentaries, right? We talk yeah. about things, and ultimately, the three people that do listen to us, right, are interested in the way that we yeah. take the information and how we react to it. Yeah, I, I mean, the the first big documentaries of the two thousands would have to be Inconvenient Truth, yeah, Fahrenheit nine eleven. Supersize me. Supersize me. Yeah, All yeah. three are what? The exposés. Yeah. Technically, they're exposés. That's the ones that, that, yeah. that kind of sparked yeah. everything. And then what was that? Blackfish or and whatever. And then Blackfish. Yeah. And then you started with this new, I would say, 2010 past, the, the, the true crime podcast with true crime. True crime. Like, serial came out 2014. 2014. So that's what I was saying. Yeah. Post, oh, post yeah. 2010. Yeah. yeah. By the way. Uh, Netflix's first original docu series because they're not considered documentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever they're, they're docu series uh, was Russell Peters versus the world. They did one season, four episodes, and then they cut it. And then their second one, which is still running, it's been going on. They've done six seasons and thirty episodes so far. Is a Chef's Table. Oh, Chef's Table. Ah, interesting. Table. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the food. I mean, the food. The yeah, food I mean, the voyeuristic like, component yeah. of documentaries is also very yeah. real. Right? I guess it's really. I mean, is it? Yeah, it's different. But how many shades away is it from just what reality TV is? You know, like. Well, I think the difference is, and you're right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, let's be real. It's just as produced, right? Yeah. The difference, I think, is that reality TV doesn't offer any real educational value That's whereas true, yeah, the yeah. documentary at least pretends or tries to be informative yeah right it could be jaundiced it could be biased but it is informative oh okay reality tv is not informative early on the real world the first season of the real world when they were in san francisco it opened. you've said this before about what? What did I say? Some, some guy well, had HIV or something. There was a lot of social Wait, you thought commentary. I wasn't listening? Yeah. Th- social commentary. There was a lot of social commentary. No, yeah. There's not a lot of so- as much social commentary as you think. First of all, it's, you're, you're romanticizing it. It was the fact that it was the first of its kind that did that stuff. It's representation. There's a difference. Hmm. So, the, the, yeah, great. There's representations. Plenty. You could make the same argument about reality TV now. There's plenty of, oh, they make sure they've got a black guy on there right like okay great representation is happening that doesn't mean it's informative 
That's a that's that's the key here. Is that that's not uh, the his main goal? Is reality TV is always main goal is first and foremost is entertainment. Yeah, always. Isn't that kind? Of, I just feel like this in terms of like spiritually, there's a there's a connection between the two where where especially the device documentaries make kind of make you feel like you're the insider who's investigating along with the filmmaker. Well, that was the critique of Vice documentaries. Right, and it goes along the same way with reality shows, the idea being that you're almost like an observer in the circle of the people who are in the reality show. Well, that was the, right? big, like, the big critique was that Vice documentaries veered too much into reality TV territory, mm. into entertainment territory. That was the controversy. They were both you know, awarded and kind of recognized as the first of its kind and really groundbreaking and really, really well done. But there was also critiques and the critiques were it veered a bit too much into the reality TV kind of yeah. realm. But now we're seeing all sorts of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of social changes, you know, R. Kelly, the R. Kelly documentary opened up the oh, floodgates, right? And now he's freaking out on, on news stations and shit. I don't know who said that yeah. it was okay for him to do that. The, but like The only problem is like, as great as these documentaries are, are Kelly, Never, Neverland, right? The, there is, if documentaries center the experience of, of victims, especially victims that aren't getting justice, yeah. that's a good thing, right? Which the R. Kelly one did. R. Kelly one, uh, the uh, case, the case for Adnan. against uh, Adnan Saeed, all that. Like these, like you're centering the victims or you're centering a case. I'm all for that. The only problem is I'm, I'm. Because of how persuasive documentaries are, I'm also wary of documentaries that try to sway public opinion. Yeah, so they're a powerful weapon. Dinesh you know what I mean? Like Dinesh like, yeah, D'Souza like is an example of it. Yeah, but then again, yeah. Michael Moore did the same thing with Fair Ab- Ab- Absolutely. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It's not a right thing or a left thing. It's that yeah. The issue is, like, are you trying to sway public opinion because you can't put out a article you can't put out a research project you can't get it one in court like these are things that slightly worry me again i'm not against it they're just parts of me that go okay i want to be yeah thoughtful. you want to you think about the fucking like you want to be thoughtful yeah what, you want to be thoughtful you want to be aware what's the underlying message? you don't want to be careful of what like unintended consequences yeah. or intended consequences or even the intended yeah. consequences it also yeah. doesn't have the like i think now it's like we have given the election everything there's kind of almost a built-in whether or not we decide to you know we want it to be there's kind of a built-in mistrust of journalism now there is right but there Think isn't that same built from mistrust. left to right yeah there's no built-in mistrust for documentaries, right? No, like, you don't and that's what go, well, these documentaries are by. Well, they do, yeah. but like you yeah, don't. Yeah. You I know, hear but, like, all the time. You don't get that whole. You don't get it the same way. Isn't a systemic mistrust yeah, is what he's yeah, pointing out? Because the yeah, thing is, is right. a, a, anyone can make a documentary, so people take it with a grain of salt. The thing is, the thing is, the typically. systemic mistrust of, of of journalists is different. He's right, right? Yeah. So everyone, everyone comes into documentaries understanding that someone has made it, but no one goes, there's a systemic problem in, in documentaries. Yeah. Whereas people will go, there is a systemic problem in journalism, left or right. Yeah. Right will say it's a systemic problem because it's a liberal bias, which isn't true. Mm-hmm. And the left will go, there's a systemic problem because there's a corporate bias right which is true it, which is true right there's there's a there's a problem there but i think with documentaries no one is going there's a systemic problem in the documentary field yeah, you yeah. can't trust anyone quite the opposite you go this one was really good you should watch it right yeah. so there's there's an interesting thing i'm i'm fascinated to see where documentaries are going i think the future of documentaries is going to be uh, things like Instagram TV, yeah. like live stream. Yeah. Oh, God. It's like we're going to create a documentary on the fly. Impromptu documentary. Yeah. 
We'll see. Because then documentaries also tie into really horrible voyeuristic components of social the same media, thing, right? Can you a live documentary? You can't do a live documentary. Yeah. I, was a, I was being facetious. Yeah. So, I was very confused. No, obviously you can't do a doc. But there are there is an overlap between the kind of voyeurism of, of social media and, and documentaries. All right, let's leave it there. Yeah. We'll probably check in uh, next week with another Game of Thrones episode and, oh, yeah. and as other as well as other topics. We're going to try to turn out also a video really quickly mm-hmm. uh, with some of our major theories. Uh, so keep an eye out for that uh diz is gonna let you know how you can get a hold of us yeah we're on facebook facebook.com slash currently nerdy twitter at currently nerdy instagram at currently nerdy uh the aforementioned youtube just youtube.com slash currently nerdy we're on stitcher google play and the itunes podcast app under currently nerdy so make sure you're subscribed to give us a five-star rating uh someone left a rating in january that i just saw it said uh their name was diz's fan so whoever you are i love you <laughs> And uh, the last thing they said was, I hate everything in the world except this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, very nice. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, and if you want to get a hold of us in the visit, you can. V, how can they get a hold of you? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at VTRAN214. It's V-Y-T-R-A-N-214. My website, thesandwichslayer.com. Ali? You can catch me on Instagram and Twitter at A-A-O-L-O-M-I, on my website at alialomi.com, or on our sister podcast, Head on History. Diz. You can find me everywhere at Dizbullet. D-I-Z-B-U-L-L-A-H. For everyone here at Currently Nerdy, thank you for tuning in. And remember, stay smart, sexy nerds. All hail the Currently Nerdy.